0: Well, good morning, everybody. Glad to see you all here today. The kids may be dismissed to Children's Church. We are in, again, Luke. So for those of you who are new, what we do is we just go right through a book of the Bible. And we have been going through Luke for, well, a really long time. Uh, It's been about two years now. And we are in Luke 12. So we're making good progress. To catch you all up... Jesus has had a lot to say over the past couple of weeks. He's been telling us to be in readiness, to be ready like a watchman, like a slave, waiting for his master to return, whether he returns in the first watch or the second watch the third watch. He tells us how we're supposed to be behaving, be behaving during that time. And today we pick up in verse 57, we actually get to finish a chapter today. It's a milestone here when we get to finish a chapter. So we're finishing up 12, and then next week we get to move on to chapter 13. But in chapter 12, we're starting in verse 57. Now, we're going to be talking about judging what is right and where is your heart. When I told Sharon what verses we had, we only have three verses that we're going to today, she got all excited, saying, ooh, it's not going to take very long. So we're going to go through them twice. Yeah, Sorry. We're going to build up um, uh, looking forward to the food at the end. We're going to go through and look first at the verses from a perspective of spiritual discernment. And then second, we're going to go back through them and look at them from a perspective of practical application, which is where I really like to be. So first, spiritual discernment. I've said this a lot before, and I was actually concerned about repeating myself. But we have a lot of new people here today, so it's okay. So for those of you that have heard this, just try not to nod off. And uh, for those of you who haven't, try not, not to nod off as well. Do you know that it's important for us to develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? A personal relationship with God? I've thought a lot about the idea I'm involved in the Southern Baptist Convention and there's things that we have to do and all of that, but it occurs to me a lot as I go to some of these meetings that when I stand before God, I am not going to have the Southern Baptist Convention behind me, or even better, for me to hide behind, right? I'm going to be standing there face to face. And such is the same for all of us. Which is where we start in verse 57 here. I've got two different translations up here because they kind of... We're going to use one for the, the, the first time through and the other for the other. We've got the NASB and the ESV here. NASB says in verse 57, Why do you not even judge on your own initiative what is right? Or why do you not even on your own initiative judge what is right? The ESV puts it, And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Jesus is admonishing, the people. again, we're looking from a spiritual perspective, the importance of judging for yourself what is right. See, it's great for you to come here and listen to a great Bible teacher like Reed in, in the mornings, or a, to, to suffer through a sermon from me to listen to the Word of God, but I'm not the one that's going to be standing beside you when you come face to face with Jesus. You have to discern for yourself who Jesus is. There is a verse in Acts that kind of talks about this, and I have this in Acts, 17, verse 11, says, Now these, talking about the Bereans, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness. See, this is what we want you guys to do, right? Here, Come here every Sunday to be studying, to listen and receive the word with great eagerness, to get excited, say hallelujah and amen occasionally. But not to stop there, because don't trust me. I'm just a fallible guy that struggles through, and hopefully... I'm doing my job and God is speaking through me, but we need to be like the Bereans who, though they received the word with great eagerness, went a step further and examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So you have a responsibility to develop a relationship with God for yourself. Lots of us think that because we live, come up in a Christian family, I've been going to church forever, that I'm I'm in, or I'm a member of Pioneer Baptist Church. So that means that when I get to heaven, I get to pull out my Pioneer Baptist Church card and hand it to them, and they'll go, oh, wait, Pioneer Baptist, head on in. Or maybe you're Lutheran, or Catholic, or any other church that you think has a good reputation. You might think that you get to say, I'm a member of this congregation, I'm a member of this family, therefore, God, let me in. But he says, no, not so. You have to develop a personal relationship. This is the one where I was concerned that uh, people would get bored, because I use this verse a lot, because this is my life verse here. This is the one that keeps me awake at night and makes me terrified. Lots of people may have a, you know, I've got an evangelist friend, his life verse is, of course, the Great Commission. Go, make disciples. He's, He's out telling everybody about Jesus. The fact that somebody might die today without hearing the name of Jesus keeps him awake at night. This is the verse that keeps me awake at night. The verse that keeps me awake at night is the one where I'm thinking of you, where I'm looking at the people that are sitting in chairs and pews thinking that because they do the churchy stuff, because they've grown up in church or they, all well, that stuff that they're okay. But this is a verse that Jesus says that is chilling to me because he says many, not some, not a few, not a couple, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Perform miracles, prophesy, cast out demons, perform miracles. This is a pretty impressive list of things. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There are many that are coming to our churches, that are sitting in our pews, that are listening to sermons, some great, some from me, that think that because they know about Jesus, that they know Jesus. The analogy that the others have heard is to think of, think of somebody who's famous. Think of, uh, I like to think of a football player. So think of a a famous football player like quarterback. I like the Steelers, so I'll go with Ben Roethlisberger. Perhaps I'm a super fan, which I'm really not. I just kind of like the Steelers and I've always liked them, so I I have the terrible towels up in my office and that makes me think that I've got Steeler cred, but really I don't know that much. But imagine that I really was a super fan and I knew everything about Ben Roethlisberger. I knew the names of his pet hamsters. I knew the color of his eyes. I knew the day his his uh, mother was born. I knew everything about him. I knew what color he painted his living room. I knew his favorite carpet samples. I knew everything about him. But I've never actually met the man. I've read all sorts of about him. I could tell you everything about his life. I could tell you where he ate for dinner last night because maybe I'm just that much of a stalker. Now imagine that Ben is going to get married and he's going to put on a big thing. And I go, you know what? I'm going to show up to the wedding. And I show up to his wedding and they look at the guest list and they say, Larry, I'm sorry, there's no Larry on the list. And I'm going to, oh no, just, just call Ben up here. I'm sure he'll let me in. Ben shows up and says, depart from me, man. I never knew you. There's a difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. I've never sat down and had a conversation with Ben Roethlisberger. I've never gone out to dinner with him. I've never shared my trials, my tribulations, my triumphs, my defeats. He doesn't know me. Even if I may know a lot about him, so many of us sitting in pews and in chairs today in churches think they know Jesus because they know a lot about him. Jesus says that it's important to have a personal relationship, and he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Which is why when we read in verse 57, why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Are you one that has developed a relationship based off of what your parents have with with God? Maybe you've showed up in church and think that just because you fill a chair that you've got it right. Maybe even read your Bible. question is, do you have evidence of your life of a true interactive relationship with God? Do you submit your life to him in a way that cannot be explained by any natural means? Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Verse 58, as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. Again, we're looking at this first through a spiritual lens as Jesus is talking here from a spiritual perspective there's all sorts of words that have to do with courts, laws, judges, magistrates as you are going walking alongside with God, with Jesus and I will make the claim here and I'm not alone here many commentators make this claim that the accuser that is being represented here is Jesus That as we walk along, Jesus is the one that we will stand before. That as we walk along the path, that represents our lives. We need to settle with him. When I say that Jesus is the accuser, many people go, no, Satan's the accuser. In this particular instance, it's more akin to this verse. In Luke 12, we just read this a little while ago, 12, 8 through 9, Jesus says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before man The Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. This is our opportunity to get into that relationship or walking along with God. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens, I will come in and dine. We have the opportunity here to make it right with Jesus before we get to this point. There are consequences for not interacting with Jesus in a personal way, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. This is a picture of eternal punishment. And it also leads me to the other thing that other folks here have have already heard. It's an illustration I like. You may have heard it before. If you haven't, you may use it. The idea is, picture for yourself, if you there's some young folks here, you just get your driver's license. And when you get your driver's license, You go off and you start driving, and all your life, you never get pulled over, you never get a ticket, because you never get caught, you think, right? But imagine that every single time you went over the speed limit, even a mile an hour over the speed limit, every time you rolled through a stoplight, every time you did anything that broke the law, it was recorded. And then at the end of your life, they decide, you know, your kids are going to take your license away from you because you just can't be trusted anymore, and you're, you know, kind of like my grandma, you really don't want to be on the road with her. They make you hand in your license, and at that point, you get to stand before a judge who will go through every single time you broke that law, and you will have to give an account for it. And there will be a fine associated with every single one of them. I actually went and did the math on this one time, based off of national averages. And if you figure in, I I actually did just speeding and um, not failing to yield, Um, figure out the rest of them. But based off of national averages over a period of driving lifetime of 50 years, it was something like $20 million would be the fine um, if you had to pay all of that. So you're standing before the judge, and you don't know Jesus Christ, and he's going to say, give me $20 million, go to prison. You will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You will go to prison. You will be sentenced to an eternity in hell, because once you're sentenced, you can't earn enough to pay the fine anymore. It's an eternity. Here's where, if you know Jesus, he's paid that fine. He's walked up to the judge and say, you know what? Evan, he's mine. And he slaps down on the desk the $20 million and says, he's done, I have paid that. So if we're to have a personal relationship, we can't count on our relationship with our family because our family's Christian. We can't say, well, I go to the great congregation who's got the awesome preacher. I you know, raised my hand and said a prayer and walked an aisle one day, um, therefore I've got the good card, or I've got the Pioneer Baptist card. If we have to have a personal relationship with Jesus, let's say we have that, how should we then live? What's the practical application? We'll go back here. This one we're going to focus on, verse 57 in the NASB. And why, do you not, and why do you not even, on your own initiative, judge what is right? On your own initiative... We need to take initiative as we're walking in life to do the right thing. It's an action word. On your own initiative, you need to do something that is right. And I think the verse that kind of sums it all up for us, if we're going to say how are we to take this and apply it to our life, is in Romans. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Verse 58, it says, As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, Make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. You're walking along life. You get involved in some confrontation. Maybe, maybe it's in business. Maybe it's in your church. You guys have never had a confrontation or a disagreement in a church, have you? No, no, never happens. We're, we're full of peace here, right? You're walking through life, and there is some confrontation. Maybe you get treated really harshly, badly, Somebody wants to take you to court and sue you. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Jesus says in Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 40, if anyone wants to take your shirt, sue you to take your shirt. Let them have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go a mile, go with them too. This goes against what our culture says we should do, doesn't it? We're supposed to fight for What's ours? We've got our rights. got to stand up for them. Jesus says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let them have your coat. Give it to them. Be at peace with all men, so far as it depends on you, even if that means you're getting the raw end of the deal. So now picture. Jesus is saying, why do you not, on your own initiative, do what's right? And then gives this illustration that you are in a conflict with somebody, and as you are walking to settle that conflict, you'd better come to terms with them. How are we to live? See, the question really comes down to as we live, as we've given our life to Jesus, as we've developed that personal relationship, where is your heart? Where do you place your treasure? In Matthew 22, Jesus said, and he said to them, you shall love your Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It's the first and greatest of God's commandments. You know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, right? You're not relying on a relationship with the church or your family. You've given your life to him entirely. This is your greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second commandment is just like that. What is the second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you show love for God? By loving the people God has placed around you. Does that mean you're supposed to feel warm and fuzzy about them? Does that mean you're supposed to feel all cuddly about the guy that is suing you, that's maybe throwing you into prison because you don't agree with him? Or like many of our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world, the guy that's hanging you up on your own cross to crucify you? Did you know that Christians today are being crucified in the Middle East, beheaded, chased out of their homes, losing everything? This applies to them as well. And if they are to do that, When their very lives are online, how much more so are we when we're worried about hurting people's feelings or possibly losing our job? Every bit of our life is supposed to be dedicated to loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul and to loving our neighbor. Jesus said that we are to pray for those who persecute us. Love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Love is not something you feel. He's not saying feel good about them. Love is primarily something that you do. It's the way that you live. Anybody has been married for a while, some of you take notes if you're going to be married in the future, I'll let you know right now that that love, that twitterpated feeling, that thing that uh, makes you all googly-eyed at the beginning doesn't last forever. It comes and goes, but there'll be times when you don't even like your spouse, yet you love them. You act in love towards them. Why? Because we're not storing up for ourselves treasures on earth. We're not placing emphasis on those things that are here. We're not worried about the coat and the cloak. If somebody wants it, we give it to them. God will provide them more. Because Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure in is, there your heart will be also. So the question is, where is your heart? Have you given it to Christ? Have you fully dedicated your life to Jesus Christ? Personally, interactively, have you denied yourself, taken up your cross daily and followed him? And denying yourself means denying your pleasures, you know, the little electronics, all the things around our our life that distract us. Have you developed that personal relationship with God? And if so, Have you acted, are you beginning to act in love towards your neighbor? 1 Corinthians 13. I kind of equate this to what Jesus said when he says, there will be many who say to me on that day, look at all these wonderful things that we did. And he says, I never knew you. 1 Corinthians talks about the same sort of thing, where people have the ability to do amazing things. But if it's missing one key ingredient, each of these things are worthless. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. It says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. We speak a lot about love, don't we? In churches, we speak about loving people out there. We say that word a lot. Do we go out and we do it? Do we show that we have love, or are we just a noisy gong? If we have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries of and all knowledge, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I can speak from God. And have all knowledge, if I know every single thing about this thing, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to the poor, that sounds pretty good. Or if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not love, it profits me nothing. Again, what is love and where is your heart? Love is not something you primarily feel. Love is something you primarily do. What are you doing to love your neighbor? And without going through the entire story on who is your neighbor, it's everybody God places you around you. Even the ones you don't like. So that's the question that I'm going to ask as we go today. Where is your heart, and what are you doing to love your neighbor? Now don't get me confused. You don't earn your way to God. You don't go out and love people like this says, so that you can be saved. You do that because you are saved and the love of God shines through you. James says, faith without works is dead. Right? That we can claim to have all faith like 1 Corinthians 13 said. You can have all faith, but if you don't have love, that love, that love is an action word. That active love in your life that reaches out to the people around you and tells them about Christ and shows them about Christ then you need to go back to God in prayer. You need to ask Him to motivate you, to move you in your life. If you leave these walls today and walk out maybe shaking your nodding your head or maybe even shaking your head, and then you go out and live a life that doesn't look any different than the pagan living next door to you, if people can't tell the difference between you and the non-believer next to you, there's a problem. And unfortunately, when we look at our churches... That's what I see. I see churches full of people that don't look any different than the people that live right next door to them that have never been to a church or even heard the name of Christ. And if you're concerned about that, this is where you look. Are you loving your neighbor? Jesus said on the separation of the church and the goats, remember when we're going to stand right before him one day? I'm going to stand by myself, not the Southern Baptist Convention. What did he say? He said, you on my right, enter the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the earth, because... You attended more Bible studies than those other people on my left. No, no, no. you got a little wrinkled brow. That's not what that says. No, that's not what that says. He says, because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. I had real physical needs and you met them. And the people will be surprised and say, when did we ever do that to you? And what does he say? To the extent that you did this to the least of these, you did it to me. When you go outside these walls today, I want you to ask the question all week long, how is the love of God evident in your life? How is it shining through your life? I also want you to be going through and looking at Scripture. I've quoted a lot of Scripture here today, but how did we start? It's not about you listening to me. You don't get to God through me. You get to God through His Word. Go read it. Pray. Ask him to move in your life. And he will. Miracles will happen. Your heart will be changed. You've been a Christian all your life. Your heart will still be changed. Because we're going to sing here in a moment. Just as I am. And what do I say every week? I say that yes, God accepts you and takes you just as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. Or as a buddy of mine is fond of saying, if you ain't dead, you ain't done. (laughs) If you're still around, God's still working with you, still working on you, still changing you, still growing you. So how is the love of God showing in your life? How are you going to grow your personal relationship with him? We are coming up in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be hosting a revival here at Pioneer Baptist. Um, Hopefully we'll have a good attendance on that. But the idea of a revival is to just that. It's to revive the spirit of the church. And then from that, from that revived church, hopefully people will go out and people will say, hey, what's going on in there? And they'll come in and people will hear about Christ and be saved. But the key to revival, I've read a couple of people say, is extraordinary prayer. And I'm going to call all of you to that, extraordinary prayer. And what is extraordinary prayer? Well, extra, more than ordinary, ordinary. Whatever you ordinarily do, do a little extra. That's extraordinary. You ordinarily pray once a day? Pray twice a day. You ordinarily pray eight hours a day? Pray eight and a half. Extraordinary prayer. Go a little bit beyond. Let's go to God. Let's beseech Him to send His Spirit to revive His churches, not only in the valley. Not only in the state, but all across the country. This nation needs it. We need a revived church. We need to be showing that love of Christ in such a way that it catches on again. This nation has had a couple of great revivals, and we can do it again if the church will actually pull together and seek Christ. So I'm going to pray us closed here. And as I do, I want each of you to not just be listening to what I say, but to go into God yourself. Personally. You have a direct line. Use it right now with me, if you would. Bow our heads. Father God, Master and Creator of all things, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, God, you are greater than we can imagine, and we have the great privilege of being called your children, and we can talk to you personally. What a great privilege that is, God. And we... We overlook it so often. We take it for granted. And God, I ask that for every person here that you would remind them how loved they are, that they are your child, and that each of us has the ability and the requirement to come before you and to interact with you as our loving God. So Father, I ask that as we go about our business today, as we go out through the week, we'll be about your business. There are many here that will be serving children at Jam Camp, Jesus Arts and Music, that they will be... Seeking to spread your love there, we ask that you would bless that. There are other missionaries here. There are folks that are visiting from out of state. There are those here that will be going into the community and preparing for revival. And God, for all of these things, we know your hand is in it. And we ask that you would bless it. And that in every single thing, you would focus us on you and on the face of Jesus Christ. That we would forget all the treasures of the world and focus only on the treasures of heaven. Focus only on loving those as You have loved us. God, we do love You. We praise You. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we do pray. Amen.